if you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. As I said in the introduction to the last episode, of all of the things that Protestants, or non-Catholics in general, misunderstand about Catholicism, I could list on one hand the things that seem so weird to them that they really sort of recoil from them. I've met lots of folks that are attracted to some elements of Catholicism, but as they consider it and start to draw closer, these four or five items can become something like deal killers in the conversion process. Unless you can do a good job of explaining them and overcoming your Protestant friends' misconceptions and fears. One of these four or five items is the whole concept of the saints. To the Protestant mind, it seems like blatant idolatry. They have a whole narrative about how the Catholic Church in its early centuries adopted pagan elements from the ancient Romans or Celts or whatever. And so they claim the Catholic doctrine of the saints is just a rationalization of early Catholics that were holding on to their pagan devotions. Now, my Protestant friend Ed and I sat down to clear up these misunderstandings about the saints. And since the weather here is getting nicer, we were finally able to get out of the taco shop and sit outside. So if you think you hear a bird chirping or an airplane flying overhead, you're not imagining things. Look, if any of this is helpful to you, please share it with your friends who might be interested or use these talking points to explain it to curious non-Catholics in your life. Welcome to Church Chats with Greg and Ed, where Greg and his Protestant friend Ed chat about the church. All right, Ed. So what do you got for me today? Let's talk about the saints. The saints. The saints, which is, um, which I remember a conversation I was having with a, with a Protestant friend <clears throat> two years ago, at least three years ago. And she said something about Catholicism. And I said, I would never convert to Catholicism because of that. Just in, if it was just that saints thing, I would never that's just, that's, I don't know, that's just borderline idolatry. Then, uh, so I'll, this is what I, I would have said and what many of my Protestant friends still say, and I'm, you know, I'm learning about this. But anyway, it's basically this. Come on, praying to dead humans? That's, that's like, that's just plain slapping God in the face. I mean, first, the Catholics make up a definition of what a saint is, and then they have a meeting, and they declare that someone else, someone is a saint, and then they tell everyone to pray to that person. I yeah. Mean, first of all, I, you know, well, I'll go ahead, go ahead if you've. All right. So we got to break this problem up into some smaller, right. smaller problems, right? So, um, and that's not to. I'm not deflecting. Um, I think that 
there is a coherence to all of this, right? If you ask somebody to explain um, the difference between amps and volts and watts and, you know, all right. those kinds of things, you go, well, you know, look, you got to have to, let, let's talk about electricity and to make electricity make sense. We got to sort of, sort of talk right. about, you know, principles and how it all fits together. So uh, let's talk about the saints a little bit that way. Okay? okay. Let's get to it because it's easy, I think, for the Protestants to say, this is crazy, as, as you right. said, you know. Okay. So let's start with where we start. Okay. Right. So first of all, uh, it's entirely biblical, entirely biblical that those who have died and have died in faith go to be with the Lord. Right. Right. Would, no argument there. No argument there. And that they are in worship or interaction with the Lord. And that's entirely biblical too. I mean, we can, we can go to the book of Revelation mm -hmm. and we can say that uh, John in uh, John chapter 5 in the book of Revelation sees the saints and those who have departed, you know, with the angels before the mm -hmm. throne of God, right? We can go to uh, the book of Hebrews and see that those who have gone before are a great cloud of witnesses, you know, cheering for us and, mm -hmm. you know, watching us and all that kind of stuff. And we can go to, say, um, uh, some of Jesus's parables. So Jesus tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Right. You remember mm -hmm. the story? Yep. There's this rich guy and he spends all day feasting, you know, eating giant turkey legs like Henry VIII or whatever, right. and, you know, swallowing, you know, you know, goblets of wine or whatever Drinking it is. Mead. It's always mead. mead, right? Whatever it is that like rich guys do. And, and then there's this poor little guy named Lazarus who's outside the door and He's like, can I have a crumb, sir? And he wouldn't even give him a crumb. And then, right, right Jesus tells a story. He goes, well, so Lazarus and the rich man die. And uh, the rich man goes down and, you know, he's in like this place of fire and punishment, you know, and, you know, I don't know, you know, he's getting poked out with pitchforks right. and miserable and all that kind of thing. And then, but Lazarus, it says, is where? Remember? In paradise. In the bosom of Abraham. Okay. And he's with Abraham. And he says to, and Jesus tells the parable and says, uh, Lazarus, you know, the rich man, the, the, the rich man speaks up to Lazarus, the poor man and says, Hey, uh, and he said, are you, are, you know, he calls out to Abraham and he says, father Abraham, send Lazarus down here and give me a drink. And right. Abraham says, man, I no can do. Right. Right. So even in this thing, there's this established principle that that uh, he's in dialogue with Abraham. Right. Who's there with Lazarus and they're in some kind of conversation and right with the Lord. Right. So, I mean, and I could go on and on and on and 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 show all kinds of biblical examples that when people die in faith and they go to be with the Lord, there is this communion Right. of, well, saints. And that's what the Bible calls them. So let's talk about the word saint. The word saint comes from the same word that you get sanctification, right? Sanctus. Mm -hmm. uh, it means holy. These are people who are holy or set apart for the Lord. So, and that even Protestants talk about the saints, right? Right. So, so there are, there is a community of those who have died in faith, who are with the Lord, it's established from scripture that they are aware of events on earth. 
Mm-hmm. That they are in prayer before the Lord. I mean, we see in uh, Revelation 5, it says that their prayers are like incense going up before God's throne. And we read from Hebrews, as I said, that they that they watch events on earth and they, in a sense, cheer us on and, and, and spur us on to action. So I wanted to go through all of that because I want to establish the idea that there are saints right. who are before the Lord interceding praising, worshiping, they're aware of things on earth, and there is some principle of awareness or dialogue between the saints uh, who have gone on and those who are, those of us who are here. Mm -hmm. I think all that's entirely biblical. Okay? Yep. That's number one. Number two, um, uh, can we speak with them or pray to them or for them or respect them? Or do they just kind of go away and then we're, and this is where Protestantism begins to depart from this because once they've gone on, you know, once Aunt Betty goes to be with the Lord and we have the funeral, there's no, I mean, Aunt Betty is just kind of, you know, off with Jesus and there's, there's, there's no, there's no, you know, communication. But here's the thing when you, you know, in our, one of our previous episodes, when you were talking about, uh, Protestant critiques of Catholicism and, and you say, well, why did Catholics add all this extra stuff on top? But here's the funny thing. If you go back to the church of the first, second, third generation, I hope you'll come with me to Italy sometime. I will take you to the catacombs. And these are, right. this is where Christians were going down in the year 70, 65, 75, 85, burying their dead. And you can go down there and look at graffiti and inscriptions on the catacombs. They would go down where they buried their Christian dead and they would, in a sense, pray, commune, pray for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Here's the key word, venerate them, okay? Um, now, uh, so, so from a historical standpoint, there's precedent in terms of what is historically the church. Mm-hmm. And again, the Protestant perspective is not the default position of the historical church to which Catholicism added, has added. Uh, Protestantism has subtracted from the historical, historic Christianity. Now, let's get to two other things, and that is that uh, uh, the church uh, uh, designating some people as canonized saints, right? And then the notion that we venerate them or worship them, and that then that we pray to them, okay? Yep. So, first of all, the recognition part. The church in its first centuries recognized uh, people as particular examples of holiness. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have aunt Betty who was a nice lady right. and loved Jesus and dies. But then you have Frank who was particularly, uh, holy in how he loved Jesus and, uh, served him in an exemplary fashion when was a model of faith yep. and a sort of hero of the faith and maybe even suffered martyrdom. The Romans threw him to the lions or something and he refused to deny Jesus as he being thrown at the lions. And so he becomes kind of a hero to the faith. The early church in first century already 
second century recognized some people as exemplary examples of the faith. And in a sense, I'll use the word heroes of the faith. The process whereby the church, and, and so what happened is the saints, those saints, it became a popular, um, popular recognition. In other words, in a particular city, you may have a city in, say, North Africa or Greece or, you know, in Gaul or something where there was a, a young woman or a guy who had um, the Romans had thrown him to the lions right. or sacrificed him. And in that city, everybody recognized that, you know, Lucy was a was a great hero of the faith and right. she gave her life to the Lord and, and everybody would go out to Lucy's grave and all that kind of stuff. And so there were these saints, but there was no formal process for recognizing right. them and verifying their stories. What did happen historically after many centuries where the church said, we have all of these little, um, these local saints, these local heroes right. of the faith, but there's no organized process by which we, in a sense, vet them. Nobody right. sort of researches whether the story is true, whether right. it was authentic, whether right. they really lived an exemplary life. And so at some point along the way, the church, I think, and in a very understandable and commendable way began to say, we need to have a process mm -hmm. where we recognize some people as exemplary f things of faith. And so they, the church set up a process by which one is, is in a sense, they investigate, mm -hmm. uh, they research the life of this person, they interview witnesses, they do all these things to verify that this person's life was as exemplary right. as, as yeah. people think. So that's where we get the process of canonization. But the notion that there were heroes of the faith goes back to the first century. Now, two other things. Uh, praying to them and venerating them or worshiping them. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the worshiping part. We do not worship saints. Okay. And this comes down to a very... Uh, uh, unfortunate use of the English language where we have a word uh, worship, whereas in the original Greek or the Latin, there were multiple words. So the word worship is a particular Greek and later Latin word, and that is only given to God. I mean, this is the doctrine of the Catholic Church. Right. We can only worship God. Right. And again, this isn't an English thing. This goes back to the early church. Right. But we venerate saints, which is a word venerable. Mm -hmm. Like you say, oh, venerable so-and-so. That, right. that is respect. Mm -hmm. So we pay them great respect. That is not the same as worshiping them because worship is only due to God. But respect is given to great exemplars mm -hmm. of the Christian faith. Okay. One more. And I know I'm talking about, I'm taking on your question. Yep. And the last one is praying. And once again, there is a crisis of vocabulary because we have an English word pray, okay, mm -hmm. which we understand that word as something that's directed exclusively to God. Right. So when Protestants say you're praying to saints, it seems as if you are directing an activity or an action which should only be given to God now to a person. But again, in the original Greek and the Latin, there is a sort of differentiation of vocabulary, distinction 
that we do talk with the saints mm-hmm. in the same way that, and here's the, there's the analogy that's usually used. Uh, you, your Protestant church, you have a, a prayer list, mm-hmm. like an email list or something for prayers where you say, right. hey, Ed's going to get his goiter operated right. on next week, right? right? How'd you know? <laughs> that giant goiter that I'm looking at here as we right. record the podcast. <laughs> and they say, well, Ed's going to have his goiter removed. And so everybody pray for Ed. And so you want to be on the prayer list because then like you're going to be 50 people in your church praying right. for the safe removal of Ed's goiter. Right. Right. And that you think that's good because like 50 people are going to be praying for me. So my right. goiterectomy right. is successful. Right? right. What you're doing when we ask the saints to intercede is not that the saint does some mumbo jumbo magic, but that we ask those who are already close to the Lord and are praying for him and their saints, their prayers go up before right. him. We ask them to pray for us. The saint isn't going to heal us. The saint isn't going to, saint so-and-so isn't going to remove your goiter. Right. What you do is you say, just as you have that earthly prayer list and you ask friends and family to pray for you, you ask those who are close to the Lord and have demonstrated that they're close to the Lord mm-hmm. to direct their, to, to pray on your behalf to God, to Christ for you. So. All right. Long answer to short question. But number one, I think that the concept of a saint is biblical. Number two, I think that uh, the, it's historical. Number three, uh, what we give them is not the worship due to God, mm-hmm. but respect mm-hmm. as heroes of the faith or with the Lord. And four, we don't pray to them to do mumbo jumbo. We ask great heroes of the faith who stand, who are close to Christ to essentially intercede on our behalf with him. So would it be fair to say, excuse me, would it be fair to say that, that the Catholic Church recognizes that there could be a lot of people who were not uh, uh, officially vetted as saints, but that were, that they just, they just aren't. We had no way of checking their stories. No way. No one ever heard of them. Yeah. They, they, they lived in some obscure place and they died and they would be just as qualified and just as great a candidate, but we just don't know who they are and we're not going to say, so we're not going to say. Well, well, that's the point. I mean, the Catholic Church says that all of those who die in faith, in a sense, are, are you know, going to go be with the Lord. I mean, we'll talk about purgatory some other time, right? right but I mean, right. all of those who are with the right. Lord, the thing is, is exactly as you said it, there are certain people that are exemplary. You know, one of the most holy people that I ever met um, was, a, was a guy, he was the minister. When I got out of seminary and I went to, to do my residency year at a large church in the Los Angeles area, there was a, a gentleman who was our minister of visitation. Um, he was like nine, I mean, he was like 92 or something. He was this hale old guy and he had worked as a barber all of his life Mm -hmm. until he'd retired and he had his bicycle and he would ride around the neighborhood and like visit old people. Right. And so he goes, I'm going to go visit the old people. It's like, they're, they're like 20 years younger than you are, (laughs) you know, but he's like, I'm going to go visit some old people today. And um, he, he was one of the most holy people that I've ever met in my life. And in fact, I asked him to participate in the baptism of my son to, to read mm-hmm. a prayer at my son's baptism. 
Um, he was, and I used to joke with him. I said that when, you know, when we get to heaven and they're handing out, you know, the crowns or whatever right. the words in heaven, I, I, I can't hope to be, you know, a, a right. part of the line he's in. I just right. hope that I'm not so far back in the line that I can't even see right. the part of the line where he is. Right. So I think we all recognize that there are some people that we've met in our lives right. who are e- just incredible exemplary examples of the Christian faith and are full of holiness. But as you say, the, 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 the Catholic church, what it does do is it gathers these, um, right. people, people are recommended, you know, when somebody right. dies, they'll say, this guy was an example, or this woman was an example. And then right. there is a formal process that usually takes decades by which their life is investigated. Right. Uh, and these things to, in a sense, verify their holiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then they are recognized as canonized saints, but that doesn't mean that, that there aren't people that have not been recognized that aren't also, you know, right. before the Lord. So if, 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 if I knew that this guy in your neighborhood was this really holy guy, mm-hmm. could I, could I pray, treat him as any other saint? Would the Catholic church allow me to do that? Or would they, would they recommend I stick with the list? Well, they would recommend you stick with the list, right? Um, it's not that you can't, in a sense, uh, recognize that the saints are foreign, but, right? I mean, we want to make sure that we don't um, create, you know, cults or right. a personality right. around people that we can't verify. Um, and and so that's why the church... Um, says, and you know, the church, which is given the keys of the kingdom to bind right. and loose and everything else, the church can't say these are people who investigate. A, a better question would be if you, you knew somebody like that, that you would say, I, I, I want to put their name in, right. to nominate them in the process right. so that the church could recognize the, some, them as somebody who is a right. verified saint. And interestingly, um, for those who are listening to this podcast, uh, just a few months ago, I did an episode about uh, a field trip that we did to Detroit. Mm-hmm. And when we were over there, uh, we stopped at um, a shrine to uh, 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 Blessed uh, Solanus Casey, who was a... Um, he was a friar, um, basically like, kind of like a monk, mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the Detroit area, worked in downtown Detroit with the homeless and the poor and, um, passed away in the sixties, I think it was. Um, and he's been going through this formal process for the last 30, 40 years where people, the church has been investigating his life and sort of, he's been nominated mm-hmm. for sainthood. And it looks like he's going to be recognized uh, through this formal process as being a genuinely, you know, genuine hero of the right. faith. And then that would, the church in a sense would verify okay. that. So, so I think you answered the first part of my next question was, which is, first of all, how could a dead person hear anything? They, uh, <clears throat> I think you pretty much covered it with talking about the saints and their prayers going up, you know, and on all of that. But the second part of that question is, even if they can hear us, how could they hear millions of people at one time? Only God could do that. Everybody's praying to St. Andrew because they were whoever, the patron saint of traveling or something. Well, there's 50 million people, 50 billion people, whatever, coming at him at the same time. How could he, how could he pick it out? How would he know? I can't do that. I, 
well, there's a lot of things you can't do because um, you're not dead. I mean, <laughs> right? right? I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know why, why is the assertion that that's impossible? I mean, you can't do it, but on the other hand, you know, uh, you're not in heaven. Right. Uh, right. I mean, right. So, I mean, this assertion that it's impossible for somebody who's in heaven to be aware of, you know, to hear the prayers of many people or right. hear the things. Uh, I don't know if that seems like an assertion. I mean, I mean, you know, you're my friends, but right. it's sort of an assertion on your part that people in heaven can't do that. And I'd say, I don't know right. why, why not? It's sort of like when people would say, well, uh, Jesus couldn't turn water into wine. I go, why not? Well, because people right. can't do that. I go, well, apparently he could. It, it seems like a negative proof to me, though, that you can't prove that they can't, you know. I, you, I just, you know, you haven't proven to me that they can, uh, but uh, I, you know, that you, you, you're, you're, uh, you're coming at it from the other side of it and saying, well, prove to me that they can't. And it seems like the burden of proof would be on the Catholic Church to say, you know, this is how we know that uh, uh, St. Saint Christopher is, you know, is able to hear all of this. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that he couldn't, but it's a question in my mind, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, this is what we get to with, you know, the miraculous and the supernatural right. all, all the time. And, you know, in some other episode, I'm sure we'll talk about, I mean, uh, you know, when we get to the Eucharist and talk about transubstantiation, right? I mean, my Protestant friends will say it's impossible for, uh, in a sense, the the bread and the wine to, you know, be converted to, and I go, I don't know, why not? Um, like Protestants believe in all sorts of other miracles. I mean, you know, right. my, my, my good Protestant friends who would take, take the old Testament literally and say, well, you know, God could stop the sun in the sky, well, right. you know, or, uh, part the Red Sea or, you right. know, preserve Jonah in a, right. in a, in a fish. Uh, I mean, right. I mean, it's, the answer is, it's a miracle. But where, but where did it come from? The idea that we could communicate with people who have gone on, where does that idea start? Where did, how did that get started? Why would somebody say, oh, you know what, let's communicate with St. Christopher and... Well, again, I, I can go back to biblical texts, right? So if the Protestant wants to play sola scriptura, I can go back to passages like Hebrews uh, and the cloud of witnesses. I can go back to passages where uh, Lazar, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. I can go back to passages like Revelation 5, and I can find references in scripture to how the, the, the blessed departed are aware of events on earth. Right. Now, if someone were to say, well, how many events can they be aware of at one time? I right. mean, you know, that's, we're sort of going down a rabbit trail on that one. I don't, I don't know that there's a limit on how many they can be aware of. Right. Um, but yeah. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> move on to the, uh, another, uh, uh, part of this, uh, my experience has been, and this is what it had always looked like to me from the outside. Don't know what's going on. Okay. I had Catholic friends when I was a kid at one or two, um, with, uh, medals around their neck and statues, which, uh, we just totally wrote off as graven images. Um, you know, never mind that bust of Elvis we had in our, in our living room. That's different. Um, uh, in their houses as if this is my sense of it was that God himself was just too far away to be reached or addressed 
directly. So they had to get to him somehow through these other people because God is, is just is just too far away. And that they didn't my sense all in part B would my, be my sense that these that the people I knew didn't even understand how any of it worked. It it might as well have been a magic uh, amethyst, you know, uh, a magic crystal or something, and that they treated it like magic. Well, I'm going to go on a trip, and I got my St. Christopher medal with me, so I'm good, you know, or whatever. Uh, And it just struck me as just pagan. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's take this in reverse order. So let's take the case of, and I'll, I'll concede that some Catholics maybe have a poor understanding or may practice or, 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 or may, you know, uh, not have a clear understanding of how it works or may practice their faith in ways that are not, you know, completely, you know, well thought through or whatever. But how is that really an argument against Catholicism any more than if I say some Protestants you know, um, do snake handling or, um, some Pentecostals, uh, you know, believe this or that. In other words, the, the fact that some people may not have a clear understanding and some people may wander into, you know, mistaken practices. It's not an argument against the faith. It's an argument against the fact that some people, you know, fumble the ball. Right. And it's actually an argument that the church needs to do better catechesis and better faith formation and all these kinds of things. But it's not certainly not unique because I I can tell you about individual Protestants who do individually (laughs) weird things and that aren't even consistent with the the teachings of their church. And so, you know, I'm not going to defend every Catholic who who ever did something weird. Now let's go back to that and talk about those medals. So I'm, I'm pulling my saints medals out of my shirt right now as we we speak, right? I've got a crucifix with several saints medals on it. And I'll tell you why I wear these because these are several saints that in a sense are heroes of mine, Mm -hmm. you know, men or women who exemplified just like you might have heroes. Mm -hmm. These are people who I have great admiration for people who for certain qualities or, or aspects of their lives that, that are very um, meaningful for me because they're things that are important to me. Um, and so I go, boy, these men and women that I have on my, you know, medals here on my chain or on my, around my neck are people that I look to as kind of like my heroes, my, my models. They're, right. they're people that, that I, want to live up to their example that I, that I draw inspiration and strength from thinking about the way they live their lives. And, uh, and if I'm going to ask somebody to pray for me, I want to pray, you know, I sometimes right. ask them to enter, not to do any magic for me because they don't have miraculous powers, right. but I ask them because they understand, you know, um, to, to, to pray for me. I'll give you a perfect example. I, I not on this crucifix uh, around my neck right now, but I have a, another one that I wear sometimes, uh, that it has St. Joseph, right. You know, mm-hmm. and I remember, especially when I was young and raising my kids and, you know, trying to do my best to be a, a good husband and a good father and provide for my family. Um, I would sometimes say, you know, Hey, St. Joseph, you know, you worked hard to support, right. you know, uh, 
Jesus and Mary and you worked hard with your hands and, and you, you did, you protected, you know, your, your, your son and your wife and you, you were a hard worker and, uh, you know, uh, pray for me that I can, you know, that I can provide for my family. Right. Uh, so that's why I wore a St. Joseph medal for a lot of years. Uh, and, you know, I think that you look at, you know, certain saints that, you look at as particular heroes and, and the statues are the same ways or the medals are the same ways that you have family photos. Um, right. These are called actually in church doctrine, sacramentals, uh, sacramentals, not sacraments, sacramentals. They're objects, um, that, that provide devotional focus. You know, they're devotional objects. And so I say, okay, you know, uh, when I see, if we go out here out from where we're recording right now into the woods, I've got a, I've got a little statue of St. Francis, you know, who, mm-hmm. who was not only meaningful to me because of the woods and the, all that kind of stuff, but I've been to, to the, Assisi many times mm-hmm. and you know, I'm, I'm very inspired by the life of St. Francis. And when I go by that St. Francis statue out here in the, in the trees, I'm reminded of the life he lived and what a hero mm-hmm. he is to me. And, and I, and I asked St. Francis to help me to, you know, to, to live a life that model the, you know, mm-hmm. try to live up to the, the, yeah. the example that he set. And, and that statue is not a magic object. It's not a, it's not a totem pole. It's not some weird pagan right. object. It's basically just a statue to remind me of St. Francis. Well, I would, I will say that, um, I certainly have known Protestants all my life, friends of mine and whoever that believed weird things that, oh, that, oh, yeah. that, uh, um, we could tell some stories. Uh, as yeah, uh, I was, uh, okay. I'll stay away from a couple of things here, but I don't want to, you know, beat on anybody, but, but who, who believed things that I thought, whoa, 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 whoa. They don't, that's, that's not what we're teaching. That's not, that's not how that works. Uh, but they, but they were, they were convinced in their own minds, you know, yeah. so I can certainly see that's, it, it it doesn't. In fact, I was getting into a uh, quote unquote discussion with a somebody not too long ago, and they said, "I know Catholics. I've known Catholics all my life, and and they and they believe that it's works. That's straight up. That's what they'll straight up tell you. And I've seen it from with my own eyes. So don't tell me." And I said, "Well, okay, but my information is that that's not what the Catholic Church teaches." Well, it must be because that's what, you know, well, that's what they're doing. And my response was, well, have you ever had any Protestant friends who really had it wrong and didn't? And, and, and you said, well, yeah, of course, but you know, and then, and then that bleeds out into, um, well, you can't anymore say, I can't anymore say, well, that's not what Protestants believe because it depends on what flavor. And then on we go until... The, the Protestant church ends up being the church of me, you know? So um, this is actually, I think, um, actually a really good critique. Uh, I have a friend of mine who is a well-known Protestant author, mm-hmm. Christian author. A well-known speaker, author. When I worked in Christian publishing, we published his books and um, known him for, I don't know, 25 years or something. And uh, I don't want to say his name, but, you know, 
after I converted to Catholicism, we've had you know conversations because right. right. he's this big, huge, famous Protestant right. author, and uh, and he's like, "What'd you do?" Right. You know. And so one time we were at a dinner, and he's like, well, "What have you done?" And I said. Uh, and we have this interesting conversation and he was like, you know, I have to admit, and I won't say his name now because I'd get him in, I'd get him in trouble. But he said, you know, privately, I have to admit that I really admire a lot of Catholic teaching, especially Catholic social teaching. And he said a lot of, um, uh, you know, um, there's a lot of great doctrinal stuff. And he said, and I admire a lot of great Catholics throughout history who, you mm-hmm. know, and he said, I, he goes, here's my problem. I thought this was, I thought this was an interesting critique. He sees, he said, I think that there's, he goes, my problem is that there seems to be two Catholic churches. There's the Catholic church of the catechism of the Catholic church and history and all the great, Mm -hmm. you know, intellectual tradition and all this kind of stuff. And then there's what I see in sort of popular practices. Like I meet a lot of Catholics and they seem like how they actually practice it is not aligned with the doctrinal teaching of your church and the great intellectual tradition, all that. And he said, it becomes this like turnoff for me because every time I, he goes, I I start to read something by a smart Catholic or a great Catholic teaching or a great whatever. And, you know, he goes, I get kind of turned on by that. And then he goes, I run into ordinary Catholics who seem to be abusing the the faith or not even, you know, practicing it. And I said to him, well, um, okay. I mean, I think, but that's a fair critique of almost any organization, isn't it? Right. Um, it's certainly a fair critique of a lot of Protestant denominations that, you know, you can look at the best elements of their tradition, the best of their writings, the best of their authors, the best of their teachers, the best right. of their doctrines, and then go, yeah, but I met, you know, uh, Joe and Bob and Mary and, you know, Manny Mo and Jack down the block right. and they're like, you know, they're incoherent they, you know this and that. So, I mean, I, I think that that gap between sort of the, the, the church of the catechism and the books and the tradition and popular practices, but that's not an, but again, it doesn't indict the Catholic faith. It, right. it, 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 what it does is to say, and I'll honestly admit that we, we like all organizations have our work to do to make sure that we properly catechize people and for do faith formation. And that's why to put my plug in, we started the Lakeshore Academy for the right. new evangelization and one whirling adventure so that we could, you know, educate and equip and, and, uh, not only non-Catholics like yourself, but, but educate and equip Catholics to become more knowledgeable about and better practicers of their faith. I, I, um, as I've thought all this through many, many times lying awake at right at night, right. Um, I've thought, you know, if I were to join the Catholic Church, one of the things I would have to be okay with is not knowing everything and going along with it, even though I didn't know the answer to every question. And that's, that's a hard thing. I've been, you know, so that's, that's why I, that's why I'm here is because I kept questioning and, you know, and what happens if I, you know, uh, we have a mutual friend who, um, converted to Catholicism around the time you did. And he and I have been uh, messaging back and forth just a little. And he said, well, let's go out to lunch. And um, he, and my, my uh, sense of it is that he was happy as a clam to, to, to convert to Catholicism 
because he because it it answered his questions and it and it worked for him and it was great and he felt like it was and I don't think I don't see him as the kind of guy who could who was thinking nearly as deeply about it as I am not because he's not capable of it but because he was just fine with it and that's that's a challenge for me you know am I going to am if I if I was to convert would I be okay just saying okay look you know I'm convinced enough to do this but I still don't have all the answers and am I okay not getting the answers I I to, to, to honestly I'd be happy to not wrestle with any of it anymore that would be that would be a huge relief to me and I don't I don't know if I'm ever going to get there well I I I I think I know who you're talking about and you're both smart guys both incredibly you know bright guys you're just different personalities right and when I've known you for 20 plus yep. years or whatever. And, you know, you're, you're a guy who asks a lot of questions and, you know, and right. not just about religion. I mean, you know, all the, over the years, all the things we've talked about in music and movies and books and right. politics and a thousand things, you know, you're just sort of a, you have a sort of a restless and curious mind. Right. Uh, and, you know, you question and re-question and re-examine right. and, and, you know, and I think that's one of the things I, I, I like so much about you, but it also probably, um, I know that when it comes to other issues, whether it's music or books or politics right. or right. movies or whatever, you're kind of always like, you know, you, you know, you have a hard time sort of let, turning your mind off. And, right. and stopping and being quiet and just accepting right. things and yep. and you're always sort of double checking and triple checking and right. questioning things eight times over and it drives your wife crazy. Right. Um, and that other person that you're talking about, our mutual friend, is is an extremely intelligent and accomplished individual who maybe is just a little more, it's not that he's not intelligent, he's just highly intelligent. It's, I think he's a little more decisive maybe and, right. and, and just sort of like, okay, I'm going to do this and decides and goes. Right. And so, you know, that's a little bit of... Uh, I guess what I'm trying to, a nice way of saying that's a little bit about you and God made you to right. be you and that's right. wonderful. And you're always going to be that restless, curious person. And that's why right. you're on the, the, the podcast and not <laughs> <Right>. him because <laughs> right. you're a great foil because we've had all these great conversations where you, right. you like to ask these questions and he, who's a, also a good friend, doesn't have many questions because he right. like got an answer, figured it out. Great. I'm moving on. I'm going to, I'm going to start praying to be that guy. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> can I just, can I just let this go? Well, yeah. look, I mean, you know, number one, if you, you come into the Catholic church, you're going to have to accept that it's, it's, as you've said, it's, it's bigger than we are and we're never right. going to uh, completely understand it. And that's, I think, you know, a matter of humility, but I also think you, you can be a great service to the church. And that's why, uh, so I told another mutual friend of ours who's Catholic, who had converted to Catholicism around the same time. We have all these friends, like right. we've all right. done this, Ed, we're all waving to you, come and join us. Right. And I had told this, this person, Ed is asking all these questions and all this. And he quoted from Star Wars and he said, yes, he would be a powerful ally in the force <laughs> if we could bring him over. And I think, right. you know, I think he's right because I think that the the curiosity and intellectual curiosity right. and, and the way you read and study things, you, you know, you you would bring all of that as, as assets. Well, well, talk to Audrey and see if there's room for surf guitar anywhere. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Anywhere right? yeah. in this whole thing. I, I actually, I, I said to somebody recently that 
it's very comforting to me, the thought that if I joined the Catholic Church, there would be nothing that I could do for them <laughs> in the music department. Any, you know. You're an amazing keyboard player, and I'm sure she would find ways to employ that. The surf guitar might be a push. Maybe that's my historical uh, uh, niche here is that uh, my niche is that, you know, 300 years from now, it'll be like, you know, well, that guy... That guy, you know, pioneered the... Uh, you, know. you brought surf yeah. guitar to the right. church. So that's, the, you're going to be your quest. Right, right. So. All right. Sounds well, that good. Was, that All was right. a good conversation. That was fun. So uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Awesome. All right, thank Thank you for listening. Considering Catholicism is produced by One Whirling Adventure, a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a simple mission to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. We depend completely on your generous donations. Learn more and consider supporting our ministry by visiting oneworlingadventure.org.